Welcome to Pro Corner with Austin Serhoff. This week's episode is part two of my conversation with Aaron Pearsall. Last week, we talked about the beginnings of his career uh, growing up in Southern California and also making the 2000 Olympic team as a teenager and getting a silver medal when he was still in high school. This week, we talk about his experience with the University of Texas. Um, there's a really nice piece in the middle. If you check the timeline on the podcast episode details, where he talks about the partnership between Eddie Reese and Chris Kubik and how both of them have such immense, amazing strengths that complement each other. And especially Kubik's ability to help a team gel and keep a network of people that's 30, 40 years deep uh, in touch with each other and connected and feeling like they're part of something larger. We also talk about his experience being a pro at Texas. Um, Aaron stopped doing NCAA collegiate swimming two years into his career at Texas to capitalize on what he imagined to be great success at 2004 Olympics. That ended up happening. He made a bunch of money from it and it was a great career decision. And he actually kept training at Texas in parallel with the college team, but not on the college team as an NCAA eligible athlete. We talk a little bit about that. And then we also talk a little bit about the era between 2004 and 2008 that was defined by Nike's foray into swimming, which was a brief but very impactful foray and how it kept other brands like Speedo uh, on their toes and honest because Nike was such a formidable competitor. So I'm going to keep this cold intro short and sweet because I want to drop you guys in the middle of our part two conversation. Uh, So let's get right to it. Here's Aaron. Let's just dive right into the next part. Why Texas? And you can talk about the, the, the swimming part of it, but also you said you seek, you were seeking out a group of guys to be a part of. I have to imagine that weighed into your decision too. Well, it did. Um, So, I mean, Texas, particularly because um, uh, Eddie was such a fantastic coach. And at the time he had just won three national championships consecutively. The, the, The group of guys was, fantastic group of guys mm-hmm. and um and for me coming from southern california it was a, it was a departure from this like uh this known community here on the west coast like i was i was mixing it up a little bit and, mm-hmm. and a bit unexpected i think but from those that knew me but at the same time i think it made sense and i and so i'm it's something you had to feel instead of be able to explain vocally, I imagine. Right? I could only, and I only figured it out after taking the uh, training camp, or sorry, the uh, the recruiting trip. Okay. And um, I was like, oh, this is interesting and different, and and um, for me, coming from where I came from, so it was, it was, it, you know, it, it just seemed like. Um, the place that I wanted to be able to take that next step with. Um, and I, and I mean, I, and I kind of opened this up to, in a sense where it's like, like we can, like even going back to what we were just talking about, um, like you, you, if you're like, you can see the pitfalls looking ahead, mm-hmm. like they, they're able, you're able to see like, uh, looking ahead, um, things that like just don't seem to work like one of the things that doesn't usually work let's say is like um coaching your own kid 
Yeah. Like, can it work? Yes. Like, how, like, is it, is it, um, also are the odds against you? Yes. As, right? Is it, like is, it, it is it an incredibly fraught path? Yes. It's, is it, is it, is it a fraught path? Like, yes. Like mm -hmm. I, how many kids successfully come through it? Like one physically successful, but also like how many of the kids actually developmentally come through it being like cool. <laughs> cool like just being a just just actually growing in a way where they they have their heads on um, mm -hmm. um there's all i just remember being on a pool deck when i was a kid and and seeing um athletes that uh were around the pool deck that um it was always one of those things where it was like i could see people that didn't know if they should be on the pool deck or um at, like at swim meets they had they they're within their careers or whether they should and it's like that uh, it, for me was wondering uh even as a young age like i wonder if i would know when it's time to like hang it up hang up my suit like uh, these 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 um, that's a deep question to ask yourself as a young kid when you most young kids can't even conceptualize swimming late in their 20s you were already considering what that would be like for yourself well but it, it's almost like looking at um looking at um people that are much further down the path than you but seeing where they are in their own heads mm -hmm. like what why what you know why certain people are 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 doing what they're doing and um and, but as a kid like you can give yourself the more credit than you think as far as like what you're able to observe like some some older swimmers would have an incredibly healthy perspective of why they're around and some other some older swimmers you know or some people you, you know who's you know who's uh who's focused and clear-headed and you know who's um a bit aimless and lost mm -hmm. and like no one's and, and no one's to fault for one or the other but it's it's uh but as a kid as, a, as someone who's observant of these things um it's like you you can you can see it like you can actually like look ahead um and see paths ahead and i and i so there's like or or the or the people who take the money before they go to college mm -hmm. and like how often that doesn't necessarily work out something mm -hmm. happens uh you know like there's there's all these like uh um try kind of examples over the course of like professional athletes history with college and all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. the writing's on the wall how many kids who are really good when they're young just simply are not good as they get old right like there's like there's like these um there's these uh um, little worlds that you can actually draw from and um and so yeah as a kid like you to be observant so critical and important and to not discount your intuition with regards to these things and kids are i think i think i think most kids are aware of those things however consciously or not mm -hmm. um, you know and, and whether they uh you know kids are more observant or more honest a lot of a lot of times than adults are yeah <laughs> so, so it's yeah it, so yeah i think i think giving kids a bit of credit with regards to that and and also enforcing that and, and like reinforcing their own intuition getting them to trust in that is important
Well, it's the trope of the horror movie house. It's like no one listens to the kids, but the kids are the ones with the supernatural ability to sense like the evil presence in the house. It's like, no, shut up. That was just the dog. That's it. That's exactly. Yeah, totally. And so if a kid sees red flags with something like listening to that, like, Mm -hmm. you know, and basically understanding that like, um, uh, it kind of goes back to that element of like, um, what I was saying about not taking shortcuts, like you, you can, you can inherently feel sometimes when you know that a certain move you're going to be taking just doesn't seem right. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't, it's like, there's like your internal compass is kind of telling you that this is not the path to go. Yeah, Even though everybody, like, else, boom, tell, everybody yeah. else is telling you like, Hey, this is where you want to go. You be responsible not to go this way. Da, 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 da. And to, to maintain that internal compass, that heading, um, and it's such a gut feeling, that feel, and you're, you're weighing that internal, that kind of internal feeling, it's all it really is, versus like, you know, that external, uh, you know, forces. Uh, there's, there's a, uh, there's, it's so important to maintain that. And, it, and it's so important um, for those that are around a child to, um, to uh, pay heed to that, to actually, to actually give in to that. I, I think it's part of the, the development is, is allowing a child to, um, to navigate. Mm-hmm. Like one of the biggest gifts I was given as a kid was uh, with swimming was that it was mine. I didn't have to explain myself to anybody, my parents. I think that's an important thing to give up. I didn't talk about swimming at home. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just couldn't. I needed that separation. I needed to talk about other stuff. I needed to have another identity aside from me as a swimmer. So, mm-hmm. um, so swimming became mine. I didn't, I, I didn't, and, and yeah. I think taking, having a sense of ownership from a very young age, it, it also breeds a certain amount of accountability. Like these are my decisions and they have yeah. weight and, 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 and having that and not just doing, and, and within sport, there's the pitfall of the coach who says like, it's my way or the highway, which is so dangerous, you know, and such, and such a, an easy thing for a coach to fall into. It's just ego. It, it doesn't, it don't even have to mean anything negative by it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, you know, for, for everyone to like take a step back and allow the, 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 the child, the person, the kid, the college kid, whatever it is to, um, to question things and to um, devise their own path at times is, is critical to, to the nature of the whole thing. And uh, I think it ties into, it's, it's another way of tying into what we're in general talking about. Mm-hmm. So, so do you feel like that agency that you were gifted as a kid? Cause for me, like my mom was a very good swimmer. Yeah. And I would come home and we would talk about, it. I enjoyed it. Like I, I'm not speaking on it as a contrast to what you're saying. Yeah. But there was a moment when I was 15 when it was made very clear that swimming was mine from here on out, in, again, cool. in a good way. Yeah. And I also, I also was in a situation when I was being recruited where going to Texas, I, I also had to push through and follow my internal compass in certain ways, too. Yeah. Do you feel like that 
that gift that you were given as a kid is what, like, would you have gone to Texas otherwise? I mean, it seems like it's something that you had to make the decision that this is my career. It's my space. There's no one else who has equity in it or a large amount of equity in it. So my decision, I'm going there. Yeah. Well, I mean, and understanding and like, with, while paying respect to the, like the other forces around you, right? Of course, yeah. of course. Yeah, and um, and and I should say like your own. It, not that you were being selfish about it, but that you were allowing your own decision making process to not be clouded because I, we all know that headspace where it's like should I or should I not when the word should probably shouldn't even exist. A clear headed seventeen year old is a clear headed person in general. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, like they they haven't like there's obviously a lot of life experience yet to live and all that kind of thing. But, um, but there, but you know, you, you're able to think fairly critically at that age, like you can be smart and yeah. relatively speaking. And, and, um, and they, I think, you know, if my mom had the choice, she would have sent me to Stanford, <laughs> you know, like, but that's sure. not uncommon. And, and so, you, you know, the, the, you know, at the end of the day, it's going to be its choice. And in a lot of people's eyes as a swimming place at the time, it was six in one hand, half dozen in the other. in a lot of people's eyes, because at the time Stanford was also pumping out a ton of Olympians too. So, I, yeah. so it, it was, there was also probably a, well, you could also go to Stanford where you can also probably just keep being an Olympian, but you also have a Stanford degree, which a lot of people value, especially where you were in California. That's exactly right. And it's not like it's a bad, you know, uh, a piece of advice, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? But it is. It, it Exactly. It's, and it's even tougher when the other bit of advice isn't even necessarily a wrong answer. Right. And, and so that's where obviously like communication is so important and, and this kind of fostering of that internal compass of a child from a young age um, through amount of critical thinking and reflection and, and um honest discourse is so imperative and it's it's you know you can you can say it's on the realm of parents with regards to something like college it's on the realm of like say with the coaches let's say like with your coach within the sport it's it's a coach saying not just giving you a set but actually taking you aside before or after and being and you know and just being like hey you know why we're doing this, you know, like this is, like, they, you know, they're actually drawing the, the child or the, the, the athlete into the process and, mm-hmm. and, um, and engaging the, the certain kind of thinking with it. Um, and giving, giving them equity too. Equity um, and, and, in, and turning their minds on, not turning them off just to, just to, you know, swimming has a, an interesting, unfortunate way of, at least a history of doing that. And it's come a long way. Like coaching philosophies have changed so much in the last 15 plus years. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I think it's still a, a, uh, it's still a, a conversation uh, worth having. Um, and because uh, it's a constant uh, uh, tug and push and tug with, with regards to like, um, you know, how we, how we as athletes navigate this, but also how like uh, parents and coaches navigate around this, but also kind of help the people going through this without imposing too much on them or, or swaying them in a way that takes them off their, 
off their own little compass, has them question like their own course in a sense, mm-hmm. where they become wandering and aimless. And you don't want that. Yeah. Like you, they, they, the person needs to be somewhat um, sure, confidence. Like they, you know, like that, and that that comes with, um, you know, that kind of reinforced nature of of uh, of you know, time, trial and error, and practice, and all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. yeah. That was wonderful. Um, <laughs> that was awesome, man. Um, I want to pull on that thread more, but I kind of want to shade it with yeah. your with your collegiate experience as well. Okay. So you show up to a new place. Um, I think you told me one time that you were so used to the dry California heat that you actually like it was. You were almost like dangerously like overheating because Texas was so hot and humid when you got there. So you got like this new place, literally physically. Um, But you also, like you said, one of your, like your best friend was, was a girl swimmer growing up and you go to this team of guys, multiple people that are your peers um, in terms of Brendan Hanson, Ian Crocker um, and a, a host of other guys what was that experience like again with this 30,000 foot view in this space that you have of being a part of this 30 plus group of guys as a men's swimming and diving team, as opposed to growing up at Nova where it was co-ed. And by the way, this is an experience I'm asking you because it's, it's an experience I had too. Like the women on it on NBC at the time were even more successful than the men. So it felt very much like a co-ed team. And then I went to a team like Texas where it's like, it was the dudes. Like yeah. it was, it's very much like an insular it's, it's a guy's team so yeah. what was that experience like for you yeah um hugely uh gr- kind of like um the, the growth of it was was uh for me like just the growing i did within those years i think was was uh tremendous and and i mean it, you know, taking the whole swimming thing aside, it's just a, as as someone being on your own, going off to university, um, being around a group of guys that are your own, that's your own age. Um, um, it's in a college environment. Um, you know, I think I think uh, especially coming from a sport like swimming, it's just so important. Like it it, it brings it brings around the kind of uh, it forces a certain kind of selflessness out of you. Like mm-hmm. you, you have to kind of think outside of yourself in, a, in a, an environment where there is a team environment. You're showing up to practice some days just because, um, not just because you don't want to let the others down. So to yeah. speak, too, and like which is the which is a great kind of accountability that can that can come from an environment like that. And, and a big uh, experience for someone like yourself that was so internally driven up to that point as well. Yeah, and I, I shouldn't say I didn't have that kind of thing before, but I, I, um, but it, it, it's a different kind of thing since you, you there is also a collective goal on a college team. Mm-hmm. Like it's you, your own individual goals, they're your own individual goals, and everyone has them. But, um, but there's there's already going into that environment, you understanding you're giving into something a bit larger than yourself. Like you yes, know? and and so, um, I think there's that. I think. I think, yeah, going from that to a, a male team, there's like a testosterone-laden, just hold in college, just a whole, whole different deal. Yeah, uh, yeah. 
of energy too. And, and, you know, you have 35 guys on a team and it's all over the place. So um, incredibly, incredible how focused actually it was able to maintain itself. Um, I mean, but you, you have all the shenanigans too that happened during that time. I mean, and that's, that's another thing is it's like, you know, as, as much as like um, there's that hard work of, of going through those, uh, you know, those daily practices and, and being responsible between school and, and, and uh, swimming, you, you also have the experiences of what it's like to be off on your own for the first time with everybody else who's off on their own for the first time. Yeah. You know, and all the, all the missteps you're, you're going to make during that uh, time, you know, not to mention if it, if for any other thing, but like Facebook had just come out at the time. And I remember people mm. posting stuff on Facebook, not, and it was just university, right? It wasn't even like global yeah. yet. Yeah, it was a close thing at the time. So, but just as an example, right? Like just, just kind of being in that environment um, where it's obviously very experimental and, and, uh, and, and a factor of growth that's coming into all that, um, but hugely developmental. Like just, and so critical, and I think hearkening back to, to what we were talking about earlier, like a, a step that I wouldn't, I wouldn't want, I wouldn't have been able to um, successfully miss. Mm -hmm. How did you, it's, before I, actually before I ask that question, the Facebook thing is funny because it's like my, people my age, we were so ingrained to it that by the, time, by the time we got to college, if something went on that weekend, five different people had a photo album with 35 photos of everything that happened that weekend. So yeah. Yeah. Wild experience in that regard. And now I look back, it's like, why was that normal? I kind of wanted that to just be between us, but anyway, <laughs> we well, that's just it. We, 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 people had to learn that. I remember parties being posted online and it was just like, who did that? Who thought that was a good idea? We knew that was a bad idea 15 years ago, man. And, um, but uh, you know, but I, I think that's part of like, and we thought it was a good idea. I would look forward to it. It was like, who's got the photos? Who's got the photos? This is super fun. We can live it again. Like, yeah. what? That's nuts, yeah. man. No, and, and then all the teachers find out or the, the, or the coaches find out and you're like, who did that? You know? Yeah. So anyway, part of the learning kind of thing. And uh, um, I mean, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have, it was incredible. I wouldn't give it up for anything. It was hugely... Um, educational and, and a factor of growth and um uh yeah beyond beyond just the sitting in a classroom like one of the biggest educational things i had was like being on the team like mm -hmm. it was just like that environment um is something that i can still draw from as as a as as a uh, a source of of learning information mm -hmm. you're saying even today for sure. Yeah. And partly because I'm, I, I still keep in touch with, with um, a number of the guys that I swam with on the college team. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it continues to, you know, inspire me in that way. And, and then, it, and, and so then you have the whole, and I mean, Eddie's still doing his thing, you know, our, our college coach is, is uh, just, it, so it, it adds like a sense of, there's a familial sense to the whole thing, which I think is also like, it's, it's, it's neat. It's like this, it's like, uh, it's like growing up in like a, um, what do you call it? Like a, uh, like a scout, boy scout, Eagle scout group or something yeah, like yeah. that. You, you know, you have that, you know, and it's like, it's big enough as time goes on. You can always pull some sort of energy from it. Speaking of Eddie and also Chris Kubik, 
what was the training adjustment like for you when you got there? Not, not necessarily that it was like, whether or not it was tough for you to adjust, but what were just some things that you noticed where it was like, oh, that's different, whether it's in the pool. Um, I imagine, did you do a ton of weights in high school before you got to Texas? I did it. Um, so what was that adjustment like for you? It was rough. It was not terribly rough, but rough. How I mean, so? I, well, I, I was coming from, um, I was coming from a, a, I think an environment where Dave Salo was incredibly experimental, mm-hmm. like kind of like, at least at the time, like kind of all the way over on the, on the far end of the experimental side. And David still is. And, and what that, so my, my, where, where my head was at with regards to what we were doing every day was just around weird stuff. Like we were, we were doing something weird and new with like, I don't know, with, with like big floaty balls in the middle of the pool, middle of the day doing breaststroke kicks, trying to do flips in the middle of the pool. Like somehow that was like a set and like, Mm -hmm. you know, um, weird, eccentric, very eccentric, eclectic workouts. Um, but we still worked really hard and, but it wasn't anything ever over like a 300. Yeah. Really. You know, like it, so we were, we were, we were, I was becoming very proficient at training for my races. Um, and I was doing this at a very young age and when I attribute a lot of all of that to, to Dave's philosophy and, and, and kind of foresight. Um, and you know, so much of the sport has kind of taken, uh, more to that nowadays. And, and so, you know, going to Eddie, who's still on the progressive side, just not as much. Yeah. Just, just you know, I mean, I think, I, I think it, I, I know at one point Eddie was Dave. Right. Eddie was that. What Eddie does was what people see Dave as in 2000. Yeah. I know what you're saying. And so, and so Eddie, but, but, I, but the, one of the differences was I was going to practices with, University of Texas team and all of a sudden I was doing 800s now and I'm like wait 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 I, I don't want to just do 800s back to back yeah yeah you know can just give me 10 100s all out fast like I'll be happy with that mm-hmm. um you know and I'll get something out of it anyway I had I I I um it was in, it was interesting bringing that kind of philosophy and I, I was coming into college with a world record already but I, w- I wasn't pretending like I knew everything by any stretch of the imagination especially when you're going on to a team that's coached by Eddie you know yeah. he's been however many Olympic teams and you know he's got like however many Olympians on his team at any one particular moment sure yeah yeah you know, so it's like but at the same time um it was an educational thing for me because I was sitting across from Eddie at times being like I have a pretty good idea, understanding of like what works really, really, really well for me. Mm-hmm. And, and having those kinds of conversations, um, it, it's like, you know, everyone has to be able to evolve and, and move with, with that. And, and I remember at times if Eddie just being like, like, uh, I'll work with you as best I can with that. <laughs> and right. I was like, okay, fair enough. Like I'll, you know, I'll do what I, I'll do what I can with it. And um, I trained really well there, um, but it was yeah. very different and it was an adjustment. It was. And what was the role that Chris Kubik played in that way for you where 
you're having conversations with Eddie about the training, it seems, and he was the one kind of pushing the pace in that regard. So well, how did, how did Cubic step in in his way for you? Um, well, Cubic first is like maybe one of the greatest assistant coaches of all time. Mm-hmm. And um, if for no other reason, just an incredible human being. And uh, so in Cubic um, is still a glue that holds so many guys together. And um, I, I honestly think that one of Cubic, one of Chris's greatest roles is and was that like Chris in a sense is was is this um this really good human being who who saw that we were working hard but was like eh there's there's more to life than swimming guys yeah like Chris Chris wasn't like he he was able to step away from the pool and he wasn't talking about swimming the rest of the day like he um, he, so he he was a bit of a uh, a canary in the coal mine, yeah, so to speak. Chris is like a canary, and and um, and Chris was incredibly uh, astute with with the realm of swimming. You, and you could talk to him about sets and what we were getting into, but he he let Eddie have that for the most part. And, and what Chris did was he he kind of did what we were talking about earlier, which was like, if he saw one of us kind of get out over here, he just, he'd knock you back in. And yeah, and uh, he would do it in a very subtle, kind, gentle, loving way. Um, great kind of, uh, and I think to that extent, one of the reasons like he, you could be considered a great educator, for sure. You, you know, me and you, and we had very similar experiences because it seems like from everyone I've talked to that Texas swimming as a, as a unit was pretty similar with what it did for guys and what guys thought of, thought of it as for a long time. It seems mm. like now that I'm talking to you, this is something that's coming out of my brain right now. Chris's greatest skill is seeing what that, that body was and maintaining it like we take for granted that this thing was a thing and it's something you can define in your mind right but he's the one that kind of that put the most effort into giving it shape and keeping it in in line and helping push things i guess the cultural the keeper of the culture if you will he was he he was and he was very subtle about it Mm -hmm. um and so um you know, I see, I see the wisdom in, in Chris too, with regards to that. Um, they, they complemented each other obviously very well and mm-hmm. they were together for 30 years. So they obviously knew each other very well. Yeah. So, um, so there is, uh, so that, that kind of culture, um, and at times I will say too, like it, it wasn't that like at time, it wasn't like it all the time at university of Texas, the culture was like great. Like there were years where uh, the team was like going through a rough spell mm-hmm. and I, and I do. And so like, that was also something that's also something fascinating to look back on too, because, um, you know, I knew that I knew that I know that Eddie could see it at the time and Chris could see it at the time. And the guys that were swimming could see it at the time that things were kind of like uh, in a darker space. And then we would show up to the meet pool sometimes and like no one would say anything. And we're just like, man, like, 
but you get so deep into it. And I think what, I think what that, um, is, you know, the maintaining that, and that's, I think going back to even the beginning of our conversation, like, you know, you have these, these high points, if you stick around long enough, you're going to go, you're going to experience every part of the experience. Like mm-hmm. I hope you do. And, um, and you know, so I was on the Texas team for better part of, I think, eight years. And for a portion of that, um, even the team at Texas had its, had this like dark, weird spell. Over sure. It. And, um, and so, and so fascinating to, to, to think about how you navigate, um, that and, and how the relationship with the, your, your peers in the sport and everyone around you, um, kind of comes into context with that and having to pull yourself and everyone else out of that too, as best you can. If like, that's like, takes its own kind of, um, presence and, and, um, observational kind of acuity too. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, through all the, of all the good times, like we did have our weird times there too, you know, it's like, sure. Eddie, I'm sure Eddie would be able to, you know, because now, you know, Eddie's teams are, are doing like they're, I mean, he, he's recruiting like as good or better than he's ever done in his entire life. Yeah. And it should be noted. I was a part of some of those teams where they were going through tough spells and it's like, you can't define it and you almost don't want to talk to each other about it because no one wants to acknowledge that it's going on. Right. Well, it, and that's, that's, it's what a great um, experience to look back on. What a mm-hmm. crappy experience to go through. <laughs> and, and use as a teacher for when you're in another situation like that in your life. Exactly. And, it, and, and, so, and so to have that um, is something to be grateful for because you can see, it, you can see again, like the, the beautiful educated sport can be, like um, you can see how things can can kind of go awry and, and how things can be brought back around mm-hmm. potentially. And, um, but you know, it, it's, uh, you know, those, those things are hard to deal with in the time, uh, during that time. Um, but to go through something like, let's say like we were going through, uh, within the sport, trying to do like personally achieve great things and as a team achieve great things, but to be maybe on a, a team that's just not quite like, like uh, vibrant and 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 uh, and all you know, kind of uh, interested and excited and optimistic and enthusiastic. Like that's just not always going to be the reality. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to be a part of that and want to achieve your own personal goals. Yeah. And again, I'm speaking from my own experience and I'll actually take you through to maybe, and maybe you can reflect on something like this as well. But there was a time period where I was not swimming very well and the team itself was a tough space to be in. And I guess a, a more people might think this is hokey, but when you're a part of that, that like a tribe, your energies are pulled together. Like you're, you're, you have your own self but also you are basically giving energy like money into yeah. this collective pool. And when the pool is not giving back is when things are tough. And the way that I actually pulled myself out of it was to be selfish for like a month. And basically like, I didn't try and practice. Um, 
I kind of didn't talk to anybody on the team for a couple months. Talking about people putting your head back on straight, my mom actually flew down to Austin, helped me clean up my house. Yeah. And like, and that alone helped my headspace. But you, and then when I came out of it, it turned into that summer I had the best long course meet of my life. It was 2012 Olympic trials and I got fourth coming out of yeah. my worst NCA meet. So you were a pro for a long time. And this is also a segue into your pro years that I want to dig into. Yeah. It's, was that something that you had to sort out in college? Was that pool of energy that sometimes didn't always get back? Or was that something you were able to observe as a pro, but it was still kind of pulling energy from you? Like what was the time periods where you were feeling that and you also had to care for yourself? Well, I, I, um, I think, uh, the time periods I think I was experiencing that were towards the end of my career. Okay. Um, and you know, it's like, so I, I, I mean, having a career that at like a, that at a really, let's say, um, at a, a high level at the national international level for like 12 years. Um, so yeah, like that period you're speaking about, um, where the, the team just has like a certain kind of like cloud over it. It's you foggy. Know, like, yeah, it's foggy. And, and, um, which is, which is, uh, it's, it, it it's like, um, being, uh, you know, it, it, I, I can certainly attest and say, like, I, I wasn't able to at the time see how, you know, I personally was going to be able to help lift that kind of like fog or, or whatever mm -hmm. off of, off of the in culture and the environment of the team. But, um, we were all contributing to it and, and, um, and, and so, you know, I think if I look back on it now with regards to that, I look at it as like, um, I mean, like, well, what it, it's, it's, uh, there's a, the, there's that element of fun. There's that element of play. There's that mm -hmm. element of like lightness, which is so important to have around a very tense and stressful environment, right? Yeah. And so it's like you need you need guys who you need men and women who laugh and who are reverent and who really don't take so damn seriously. Yeah. And um, and so I think for a, a couple of years we took it pretty damn seriously to the point yeah. where like it we it, it's like it's something you just allow to get out of hand which is a great little lesson too in in how to 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 be able to kind of come back around mm -hmm. um but i think it i think that was also i think to some degree one of the factors that helped me understand that like my time in the sport was beginning to like move on like i yeah yeah like it like i i i it wasn't it wasn't the only factor but like um but it, you know, it, it needs to, it needs to remain fun. It needs to remain light. It needs to remain irreverent. And, and, uh, and so that I think was, was this kind of peripheral thing going on towards the end of my career. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, looking back on that is, is I look, it's, pretty interesting just because I, you know, we were doing really well too at the time, relatively speaking, I think we were doing pretty darn well. Relative, uh, but sometimes you don't have perspective, right? Like all you know is what's in front of your nose 
you know, exactly. an, outs- an outsider would be like, whoa, that Texas team is really good. And then it's like the Texas team is like, no, we're going to be better. <laughs> like there yeah, was a point yeah. where we were so serious that even six square was like intense, right? <laughs> yeah, no, and, it, and, and I think it was maybe, so it was a good, it's a good, um, it's that, that in and of itself is a good kind of lesson for other teams going through uh, difficult kind of dark spells. It's not like necessarily a matter if, that will happen it is a matter of when and mm-hmm. um and being able to navigate out of out of those darker spells within that team dynamic or that individual dynamic you know with within your own particular little experience and and um and it takes and you know that's that takes a lot of maturity for you know college guys to be able to pull out of, uh, collectively yeah you know you might have a few guys that are able to men men or women who are able to kind of like interject some of that but everyone has to buy in everyone's got it everyone has to be able to acknowledge that like a shift needs to occur and happen um and i think that uh at the end of the day it's you know i mean it, it certainly makes the days more enjoyable you know, when, when you're, when you're having fun and you're, you're playing, you're not taking everything so damn seriously. So it's like, you know, and and so I, I'm actually kind of grateful that I had a period in my career where I think I took things a little too seriously. Mm -hmm. Um, because it doesn't make you any better. It doesn't, and it, you know, it doesn't certainly doesn't have you help, help you have any more enjoyment or fun out of the whole situation. And if you're not enjoying it, what's the point? (laughs) <laughs> I, I imagine it what yeah. it does is it services like an ego-based need for control over what's going on though like i yeah. have to be serious because i have to i have to get to where i'm going you know yeah. lose it, it's a way it's to lose play. yeah it's a way to lose track of that with not you but any person that mindset you had back in 2001 where you're like i got time i can go to college instead of being a pro yeah. like you can it's easier to, it's easy to lose that mindset too so and, and, and keeping in mind that again it's yeah just like you're saying um two and one of your tenants man just you know if, if if things get start to get a little too serious it's time to take a collective step back like one of the mm-hmm. things that like would have been really good for us and like at the time as for somebody or a few people in the group to be like guys we're a little too deep in this let's go do something fun and take our minds off of this weirdness for a while yeah yeah you know what i mean like actually like pull back for a second gain some objectivity go do something go 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 you know um i think there was a i think there was a fear that if we took a step back we would lose the edge that we were trying to gain to win the next ncaa title if i if i had to guess it's that it was also a loss of the growth mindset and the long-term view of hey like today can we just talk it out <laughs> like and not talk about how it's affecting our team goal? Right. Like that's, and again, a hard thing for a college kid to process. Hard thing. Um, and so, you had a lot of pros on the team too, Austin. So you had like 10 pros on the team and, and, um, yeah. and those guys, uh, you know, were uh, part and parcel to, to all of that too. So there is a, there is an element to that. Um, um, so yeah, I think, you know, we can all laugh at it now. Absolutely. (laughs) So speaking of those pros that we had access to at that time period, including yourself, 
Um, I want to push us to that side of things for you, this being a podcast called Pro Corner. I feel like I have to do right by my name and we got to start talking about your time as a professional in swimming because it was a long career. Um, Let's just parachute everybody into March 2004. You've just gotten done with your sophomore year NCAAs. It's your second year with the team. Um, You have a group of guys about to leave the team that are – that would go on to make 2004 in Athens. Athens is looming large for you. And just take me through your headspace. Were you ready to be a pro at that time? Was it something you wrestled with? Um, what were the factors that came into play? Um, I was, uh, I was, I was ready to go pro by the time my sophomore year um, was coming to an end and the Olympics were coming around in Athens. So I think going, so going into university, um, I remember having the conversation with, uh, with Eddie at Texas that I might only swim two years mm-hmm. that if that, you know, while, um, not going professional right before college, I could justify, um, not going professional before the Olympic games, um, in 2004 might uh, might be a little too much to, to kind of say no to, depending Mm -hmm. on where I was within the sport. And Mm -hmm. so going into, um, like leaving NC2As my sophomore year, that spring going into the Olympics, um, I was, I had the potential of, of, of being pretty darn successful at the Olympic games. And so, um, there, there were opportunities. And if I did not take advantage of those before Athens, they weren't going to be around after Athens. Mm-hmm. It was kind of contingent upon me taking advantage of that or, or falling into that before the Olympic Games themselves. Yeah, um, sw- swimming being a sport where the the gold rushes happen every four years at this it, time at least. Yeah, I, I, yeah. It, the Olympics it is like is was you know, kind of the, the, the thing that everything else centers around as far as you'd say, like, especially on that professional level. So, um, so, uh, I took it very seriously and, um, went about sitting down with agents to try to see, um, which direction I would go with, uh, with, with regards to that. And then, and, well, that's, that's actually a really cool detail. So how did you select an agent? How did you land on that specific person? And what was it about what they told you about what they wanted to accomplish for you that made you confident that this is the person I want me to help me guide that side of myself? Great question. And, and I remember too, like even exploring the whole aspect of not even going with an agent. Okay. Or at least those that hadn't. And, and um, in realizing that like, kind of like to our points about, all these things like like you can kind of tell which which things don't usually have a ton of success like you know for example something like you know being coached by your father or something like that yeah yeah one of them is like going professional without an agent yeah like that I, I you gather pretty quickly that that's not something that is typically done very successfully and what i mean by that is um um if you do your homework and you're in a, if the sport's in a situation to provide this, um, an agent, um, is worth it. 
mm -hmm. and and um, for for quite a few reasons. Like they, you know, they they can they they know the market. So like if you're if you're thinking about what offers you'll accept or or take or whatever from other companies, uh, an agent an agent is like a, a pass on uh, being the bad guy. Like someone yeah. can be the bad guy for you. Like someone can say no for you. Someone can be a bit abrasive for you, aggressive yeah. Yeah. for you. And it's harder when you're having to do that on your own, you get, you're developing a different relationship with the company. Um, and with and your, and with yourself. Because you're giving yourself. energy to that side of yourself too. Yeah, and because once the contract is even up, um, you know, a lot of the times if you don't have an agent, a lot of the times when you're trying to navigate this stuff and figure out all these deals and, and nit nitpicking all these things, um, that takes up a lot of time and, and energy and emotional energy. Um, uh, it's its own little kind of thing, which can be great and educational as far as like, the day-to-day -day mundane stuff that an agent will do sure. for you. Sure. Um, that, uh, that I found personally, like I didn't want to do that stuff, but you find someone that does that stuff to, you know, to your liking or to making your comfort zone. And I, and I went with, uh, I went with a gentleman named Evan Morgenstein who was, um, just like the, the, the uh, smartest guy in the room mm -hmm. kind of thing. He just, he was so motivated and, and, and he had this other side of him where um, he had such a keen awareness and uh, an idea of what was fair to the athletes. Um, and, and, and so one of the educational things that I ended up unexpectedly getting from uh, Evan and because of Evan was, was how, um, um, athletes have rights and, and that those rights are constantly like um, being taken advantage of or like were at the time but still can be and kind of are to some degree um, and so like having a certain kind of a, a pride and st standing up for those and this this whole aspect of professionalism and what that means and like you know Evan helping to find that for me and me having to kind of come around to that at the time um, you know, that's, you know, when I'm becoming professional at this time, it, for me, it was, I didn't really have a concept, not fully of what that was. And mm -hmm. it took me some time to really kind of wrap my head around what being a professional athlete was. And for the longest time, um, and I still maintain this to some degree, um, it, uh, and this is partly what having an agent, having Evan did for me was it allowed me to the separation between the business side and the, um, and the, uh, the work that I had to do in order to maintain that professional professional. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, you can't be a professional athlete without doing, without still doing the work. Like you have to have this certain kind of balance between, um, putting time into the preparation and, the workouts and the hard work of, um, of training and fulfilling your responsibilities as a professional athlete. And, um, and 
And so, you know, and to that extent, I was able to, Evan, like having an agent help strike that balance um, takes that uh, distraction away to some degree. Because for the longest time, I thought of the, I thought of the money and the professional side of what I was getting as a bonus. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was already liking swimming. I was already loving swimming. And if I could get paid to do it, all the better. It was yeah. like my general thought. Um, I was getting paid to do something that I loved and, and so, but, but there are inherent responsibilities too that come with those. And, and I think they evolve and grow as, as your experience as a professional grows. Mm -hmm. And so Evan is helping you navigate this space. Uh, I want to dig into one side of it specifically before we get into the whole, the whole pie chart of how you put together being a pro. Okay. 2004 was special in the way that Nike came to the, to the table for the first time in a real right. way. So yourself, Brendan, uh, Colin Jones, a few other people were part of this inaugural class of Nike athletes. What, what was it about Nike that made you and Evan choose them and what was the structure of what they put in place for you that you liked about it? Um, got a good question. And it, this, this ends up opening up into, and I think it's so important to, to when we're having this discussion, kind of almost keep in mind what's going on nowadays within the sport mm-hmm. and, and, um, and trying to draw the, the parallels with that. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I got to plug my iPad in. My, my battery is going to die. Hold on one second. Sorry. So you were talking, uh, you were talking about how it relates to today. Yeah. So, well, I think, uh, um, this, this, this concept of, uh, you know, so at the time Nike, came into the sport in 2004 it was huge it, I and mean, one of the biggest things it did was it kind of held speedo accountable which was like the the big name within the sport you know and it, it's for a lot of reasons it's the kleenex of the sport like it's it's the yeah. name association all that kind of thing and and they held such a corner on the market but what nike had was this like was nike and they had the coffers as much as they wanted to throw into it and they had um so they were able to kind of come into the sport and they were also pretty innovative. They had like, like stringless suits and strapless goggles and like, you know, just kind of a a cool sense of the technological um, innovation that really hadn't been like brought into the sport for some time. Like they brought, they came in relatively, you know, swinging into the sport. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and really kept and like held everybody's feet to the fire, which was so needed. Like there needed to be a level of competition within these companies to innovate, right? And so Nike provided this this platform for for the companies within the sport to actually like drive towards innovation in a very very good healthy way. Yeah. And they were, and went by the nature of them doing that and taking it seriously, they were throwing some serious, like up until then, pretty um, serious money um, at athletes going into 2004 like they were building a team yeah and 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 so they um the landscape of the sport um 
changed incredibly. Like, it, you know, and it, and it came from a lot of the, the, the success that had happened the four years prior and the four years prior to that, like this long push towards professionalization from the, the USA team. It's been this constant um, push towards uh, athletes um, getting more representation, um, you know, getting a more of the piece of the pie to some degree, athletes have always had to fight for it from the International Olympic Committee. They've always had to fight for it from the NC2As. They still do. Um, and they have to fight for it within their own national governing bodies. Mm -hmm. They know swimmers had to fight for just some kind of per diem from USA Swimming. Um, and, and so this was like this massive flux of innovation and and uh, progression and it, it also like showed i think when when a company like nike enters the realm and does it seriously it shows a certain kind of like it's like huh what does nike see that like we should see yeah like there's other why are people they, why are they even here it. yeah yeah like there's a so it it, it 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 like it just made it seem sexy for a minute mm -hmm. you know and and um and so and then and then they know then the next part has to happen and we have to perform and, and we did. And so it was me, Brandon Hansen, Jason Lezak, Kaylin Sandino, Maritza Karaya. We, we, um, we swam relatively well. We, mm -hmm. we, we won medals and, and so kind of justified Nike's uh, picks in us and then their own like decision to get into the sport. So it took off. Um, and to on those medals, uh, we don't have to dig too far into Athens because I kind of want to pull from sources that you haven't been able to cover over the years Yeah. in terms of like the behind the scenes stuff. And I think you've done a really good job on other places of really digging in Athens and what that experience was like for you. Yeah. But that Nike contract, um, we don't have to talk about the actual money, but it was structured in a way. Cause I remember about Michaels, like it was like, of course, Speedo got Michaels 2001 Speedo Speedo. Yeah. But it was structured in a very certain way. And like you said, you got medals. And so it justified their investment. It's similar to the ISL now, where if you look at how they structure their athletes contracts, it's all incentive and you do well and the team does well. So was there a, a bird in the hand versus a two in the bush situation you had to choose from where you were basically betting on yourself versus having a sure thing? Or were you not even aware of that because your agent was taking care of that for you? Well, um, good question. Um, really appropriate question. And, and uh, yeah, and, and the structuring of a contract with regards to that is like, it's, it's so important. And, and no, I, and what, and I, I was a big part of the structuring of the, of that contract and I, okay. I remember but at the same time like Evan was the one with the experience and how to and how in the and what the precedence was what the precedent was for contracts within this within the sport in particular right like right there like each each contract is kind of predicated upon maybe prior contracts that have happened within the sport um, you know if they're if they're deviating much it's yeah so it's a it's a it's a big balance and play between getting as much money as you can up front so you're not having to see so the risk isn't necessarily there just to in case something let's say 
I mean, because one of the, I mean, there's always risk, right? There's risk you're going to get injured, or you risk you're going to get sick. There's risk that uh, that the Olympics won't happen like sure. this past. Yeah, here Olympics, we are now. You know, yeah. like, and so structuring a contract is is balancing between this like immediate now of be, of have, becoming a professional athlete and making a living now versus um, your own potentiality and. And so hedging your bet on only on what you might do and not on what you're already worth immediately sometimes is a risk too big to take, you know, like it's, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's striking the balance, I think in between if, if you're able to, and, um, you know, you want, you want regardless of what happens to be able to make, like haven't, like you want to be able to make something. Yeah. And, and, um, and, uh, and yes, some of it's going to be performance based. Um, and the negotiation of that is, is part of the art of it. It's, you know, it's, it, and it has some, it has to do with so many things. It's like what they're taking into consideration of, um, you know, of course it's performance based and, and it's, you know, it may even be dependent on like who your competition is and, how much of a profile, like, are you racing against another pro high profile name? And do you have a potentiality of competing against that person? Well, mm -hmm. um, uh, all the way up to like, are you able to talk in front of a camera? Are you able to, you know, somewhat be somewhat, um, personable? Can you speak to media? Can you develop relationships? Mm -hmm. Um, basically, are you a good representative? as far as that goes and what is a good representative uh, and that's and that's a big part of your duties was appearing on behalf of nike well yeah right? and i guess it's all about how you frame it right so it's i'm appearing on behalf of nike but at the same time um um uh it was it was this interesting thing because i also was thinking like actually nike nike is coming into my sport Mm, okay. You know what I mean? Like, so like, it almost gave you a, a take it or leave a, it. It's a feeling that, like, even though basketball or football make more money, Nike is has been there in that sport. So an athlete can't walk into the room with this feeling that you're describing. That it's like, hey, dude, you're in my space. Like, I'm the one that knows what's going on here. Well, I mean, I, I think it was. I think it was that they were somewhat newer to the sport, but it was also that like. Okay, so going back to the sense of ownership, yeah, I think that we were talking about earlier, um, that uh, me swimming for because like for these very personal specific reasons um, was 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 going to be maintained even though I had responsibilities um, professionally. Mm -hmm. um and those but those responsibilities were going to like i was go i was going to create boundaries basically yes yes and 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 so like my boundaries kind of rode along the lines of like you can pay me to perform and to swim but um i'm still going about this as i've always gone about this it's not going to affect aaron pearsall the swimmer like you're buying day into what I'm already doing. Yes, exactly. I get what you're saying. You're they're buying, bu you're buying, they're buying in, into you. Yeah. You're buying into me. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so that was, that was, I think in, in, in relatively speaking, like that was 
least at the time, maybe the, one of the only ways I was going to be able to justify uh, going that route. I, it wouldn't, I mean, it, it, it wouldn't work, it wouldn't have worked for me otherwise. And, and, um, and so I think that, I think it goes into this aspect of like, um, of perspective and these things that come around that can be really enticing, but maintaining the perspective because no matter, because one thing I always realized was Nike only stays with me if I keep doing what got me Nike. Yes. Yes. Like it, it doesn't, you know, like I, I, I can't just change up what I've been doing just because Nike's come in because then Nike, the irony is Nike won't be there. Yeah. <laughs> yep. You they know, bought like into I, what made you you, but then if you start doing it for them, you're not you. Yeah, and and so sticking up for for my uh, like a certain sense of what I believed the sport was. So Nike, in that sense, I felt I felt like I was being supported by Nike to be myself. Yeah, they give you supported space to do company. that. Yeah, and I think it's so it's important to to make that distinction and and and, um, and important to be supported by the company that the companies that you're sponsored by in that regard. Mm -hmm. um, and to, and important to be very explicit about that. And from my experience, most of the companies I worked with were pretty cool about that. Yeah. Um, if they need to be told to back off, that's where an agent is really good that comes in and can, the agent can be the, the proverbial prick. Yeah. Right. Like the agent can be like, you, you guys are overstepping your bounds. You guys need to chill out. You guys need to, understand what is actually like the, the like yeah understand the, the foundation of what this whole deal rides on um, mm -hmm. it's this it's this balance where as a professional your your main job main job is to keep your performance at a high level like that's yeah. why you're getting paid and so the only way to do that ironically is to um is to almost keep that sponsor somewhat peripheral mm -hmm. on the outside you know? and, not, like, and, and not get caught up in, Oh, it's Nike. It's like, okay, it's Nike, but okay. Got it. I mean, could, could we have done, and that's, but that, okay. So something's a weird place with that because it's like, um, could, you know, it's that you have, you have to strike up this other kind of conversation of like, can you do more for the sport outside of the pool? traveling around being in front of people more and the answer is probably yes mm -hmm. like you can but but then like the, the nature of swimming is like if at least up till now up to now um there are like there are like very very strict requirements for performance in the pool like mm -hmm. you, you can't not train as much of a dream so like you, you cannot sacrifice that for whatever other kinds of things pop up within the professional realm. So you're balancing these two things out. Um, ultimately it's uh, what I found was it's better, it was better to decide on the fact that I am a swimmer first and foremost. And again, looking at my career and the aggregate and the whole, I'm looking at, you know, I, I, I need to put my attention towards what I know works. And that's, that's, um, the process of, of training and developing my, my body. And, and that's the, that was the way that I felt like I could give back to the sport the best mm -hmm. with the help of my sponsors. Yeah. So up on that boundary, you go into Athens with 
um, now with this incentive laid, of con laid in contract with a lot that you can achieve for yourself. But you also have to balance out that it's just another swim meet. It's just like 01 Worlds, 03 Worlds. Did Were you able to – two questions here. Were you able to stay on your routine in that way when you got there? Because obviously the results speak for themselves in that way. And two, what was – what was the routine that you leaned on by the time you got to Athens that you had developed over the years from Sydney through the O3 world championships that you were executing while you were there? Uh, whether it's when you woke up in the morning, what you ate, your warm up, just any little details about what you use to control your environment in a huge environment like the Olympics now with all this other external stuff around you. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it was keeping the world like you, while being as open-minded as I possibly could be, um, the trick was to also, um, to, to, like, while you're trying to absorb everything that's going in, everything that's coming in, when you're at something like an Olympic Games, you know, it's, it's a fantastic just cacophony of, of, of really amazing stuff going on all the time. And you're meeting amazing people and you're, 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 you know, you have all these incredible chances and opportunities to do some amazing stuff. You're able to see all these other sports. You're able to meet all these other people. You're able to, uh, um, and it's just the energy and you're at Olympic games and you probably, probably something you've been striving for since you were a kid. Mm -hmm. And so you want to soak all that in, but you, it's like, you also want, you also need to, uh, um, somehow keep your world relatively small, mm. like keep your, your sense of focus relatively focused. Like you're, you're there, you know, you, you're there, you want to soak it in, but you're also, you also still have work to do. Yeah. So, um, so the, the, you know, the what, routine is probably the same thing that, I, you know, I mean, I, I would do the same warm up almost every meet. 400, mm -hmm. 400, 450s. Again, thanks to Dave Salo, somehow I never got tired of that. It was like the most lovely little warm-up. Um, it sounds very neat and very uh, concise. It is. It was just a thousand warm-up, you know? Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and you know, and, and, I, and, and one of the educational things that I did come around, um, uh, this gentleman who was hanging around the national team for a couple of years uh, was doing a doctoral thesis, actually hanging around a few of us. And some of the Texas guys actually um, uh, was actually asking us about our routines. And the general consensus at the time between from us was that like, we felt like we were pretty flexible, had no routines, like we're able to kind of weave in and out of everything. And what he showed us was like we were completely bonkers. Yeah, <laughs> like we, we, we actually had, we, we were so deep within what we were doing. We didn't even realize we were in a routine mm -hmm. and, and it was, I sh it was just like, Oh my God, you know, like how, you know, basically like, he's like, we, we would always wake up, you know, at the same time and do the same warm ups and stretch and, and usually get out a certain amount of time before the, the, the race. And, um, some guys would, you know, you could, say you get a massage afterwards or a rub down or, or stretch or, 
you know, like whatever, like it typically was like everyone had a quote unquote routine that we could not even see was a routine. It was mm-hmm. so embedded. It was so mm-hmm. ingrained in, in like the culture of the sport and what we were doing. It wasn't ours. It was somebody else's. Yeah. And, it's one mind that you were all jacked into without realizing it. Right. Yeah. Like kind of, kind of like a little scary that I wasn't even able to see that, you know, and I was in my 20, I was in my like mid twenties when all that I was, you know, I was like, Oh my God, what else don't I know? So, um, so, you know, I think the, uh, pretty, pretty deep into my routine by the time I became a professional athlete, let's just say that, um, that yeah, that's but nothing, fair. yeah, nothing too, nothing too out of the ordinary. I didn't have a lucky rabbit's foot. I, I, you know, nothing it, too crazy. It is good to note that cause there are, there are a, a lot of superstitious athletes, be a lot of athletes who are very aware of their routine and lean on it in a way. Yeah. And it's interesting. I wonder if that is a thread throughout, again, just te- whether Texas swimming has a way with that, because I always never felt like I had a routine at swim meets, but then you look back, it's like, I actually woke up, did X, did Y, I'd have to go to the pool. Yeah. Like I was going according to things I felt like I had to do, but I, I wasn't aware of what they were, I guess. Okay. So you get back from Athens, just moving into, I think the most important stretch as far as, you know, giving everybody a glimpse into you as a pro. You get back from Athens, um, and 04 to 08 is when you were a pro, and you were part of this, a group that was, in a way, artificially inflated by Nike, because you kind of saw that trickle away from, like, 08 down to 12, uh, at least within the Texas team. Yeah. While you were there, it was pretty incredible. You had 10 guys, at least, that were on the team still. So, phase one the first two years of you being a pro and I focus on those because you were still swimming with your teammates. Was there an adjustment period to being a pro, but also being 20 and swimming with guys who you w- you would be in college with? Cause I imagine they were very understanding, but it's still something that has to be sorted out without anyone necessarily being at fault about anything. Well, you, good question. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, uh, on another level, it was the only place for guys like me to train. Yeah. Like there was nowhere else to go. Like even if you had said to university of Denver or something, just to make it an example, Hey, I can't swim here anymore. I got to be a pro. You would have ended up at Texas. So it just also happened to be the place on top of you loving it. That that was the best place for you to be. It was. I remember, I mean, I think the, the, the landscape has shifted since then, right? So there's other places to, to show up and train and there weren't, it wasn't quite the same. Um, it was, it was shifted around in a different way back then. And at the time, I think there were like eight to 10 guys that were potential more, um, more like close to 12, 13, 15 guys who were potential. Like they were all, how many guys were even, probably the majority of the team was was like had made olympic trials and then we sent i think eight or nine guys to the olympic team mm-hmm. in 2008 and yeah and i think uh i think almost all but one won a gold medal yeah on a relay or individually or in some form or fashion um it was hard not to be there competing or training at that team, not to mention like training again, like we were talking about this earlier for, for a, a guy, I would say even more than a, 
a woman uh, training um, on a college team uh, with a bunch of men is it's like uh, just you you have so many grown it's the best place to train like right. everyone everyone is is uh, as developed in the sport as they are going to get it's it's as close to a professional team as you're going to find in that time period yeah in that time period all right that's the show Tune in next week for part three, the final part of my conversation with Aaron, where we talk about the end of his career and retirement and a host of other things. As you can tell from the first two parts of these conversations, it's not entirely linear because Aaron has a lot of big ideas about things outside of swimming, um, but it, it does wrap up in a very neat and nice way. Uh, if you like the episode or you have any feedback about it, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to reach out and chat, uh, I'm on Instagram at Austin Suroff. The show Instagram page is at Pro Corner Podcast. Message me there. If you have something more detailed you want to talk about, you can reach me at Austin at ProCornerPodcast.com. Thanks again for stopping by and have a great week.